We're wrapping up this uh, series, short series uh, from Matthew 5, uh, I'm just calling Here for Good, Salt and Light, and thinking about what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Uh, some, some, you know, some, some phrases or uh, descriptions that if you've been around the church very long, you've heard, and it may be very familiar language. But if you really step back and, and kind of let, let the familiarity kind of uh, not cloud your thinking a little bit, it's, it's amazing to really consider the wisdom of Jesus when he described his people in this way. I mean, the, the depth of, of these descriptions for the church can kind of go on and on and on for thousands of years. And... And really, we can never sort of kind of plumb the depths of, uh, of what it means when, when, when we hear Jesus speak of us in this way. So let's hear it again, and then we're going to think a little bit about what this looks like and uh, uh, how this plays out in the world in which we live. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. Let's stand together as I read it, can we, if you're able. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house." In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. So I remember when I first moved here to Santa Barbara many years ago, um, I had the, I think it was a privilege, I don't know if it was a rite of passage, I don't know what it was, but several pastors in town invited me out for coffee or for lunch and they were maybe just kind of vetting me, see if I, you know, if I belonged. Or, and and I, I reciprocated. I invited others out just to kind of get to know sort of the spiritual climate, environment of the community and try to learn what I could learn. And I remember in particular me with three, I, I met with several, but I remember three meetings in particular. One was, one was with a guy named Kurt Peterson. Some of you might remember his name. He was a pastor out at Montecito Covenant Church for like 24 years. Um, one was with a guy named Steve Jolly. He was a pastor at Santa Barbara Community Church. And Steve uh, just wrapped up pastoring at that church in the last year or so. 40 years, I think. Uh, and uh, another was with Denny Wayman, who was the pastor at the Free Methodist Church up on the Mesa, and uh, also just retired in the last couple of years, few years, uh, after 40 years of pastoring at the Free Methodist Church. At the time when I met with them, they had each been, the, the, the shortest amount of time that they were, had been at their church was like 17 years. I think that was uh, Pastor Kurt at the time at Montecito Covenant. The others had already been at their churches for 25 or 20, 20 plus years. And, and I began to think, wow, what is going on around here? Uh, these pastors have been here a long time at their churches. And it began to sort of hit me as I was learning a little bit about Santa Barbara 
a little, about, a little bit about the nature of this place, that, that uh, you know, you, you had either lived here, like, for generations, or you were just kind of passing through, you know, and it kind of feels that way, but these pastors in particular had, had somehow sensed that it was important for them to, to get here and, and to kind of stay put, to invest into the community, to, to consistently to show up, to be, as we've been saying, here for good. I love this, this slogan, this motto that, that we might choose to live by, that, that they had decided it was important to be here, to be, to be present, to be consistent, to be uh, um, among the people, a part of the community, uh, knit into the fabric of, of the lives of the people uh, that, that they were called to serve, and that, that they, were, they were here for good. They, they were here to, to make an impact in, in families, to make an impact in the lives of individuals, to, to, to come alongside those with compassion who, who were in need of that. And, and that as I listened to these folks share over coffee and lunch in those early days of my ministry here, I kind of had that same sense. I, I just sort of felt like the Lord kind of telling me, it, this might be what you need to do, James. Just kind of just sink in and just be here uh, for good. And so thankful um, for that uh, opportunity. Thankful for these mentors. Thankful for role models like these. Because I think really they lived out for me in a very powerful way what, it, what Jesus is talking about in this passage that we've read, what it means to be salt and light in, in the community. Um, the, the passage that we've been reading, I want you to be sure and notice, I don't want to sort of slide by these because I'm, an, you know, I'm, I'm typically looking for the good. There are a couple of really significant warnings in this passage. I, I'm sure you've heard them as I've read them over the last couple of weeks, but, but, but Jesus here warns that, that there are some who might lose their saltiness. Now, I think actually technically speaking, salt can't lose its saltiness, but spiritually speaking, salt can lose its saltiness. And, and, and Jesus has never said that you need to make yourself salty on your own. He just is saying, get up next to me and let me live my life in you. And this is the salt that will be spread out into the world. But he says there, there are some who will lose their saltiness. And, and their, own, their only value will be to be tossed out and trampled underfoot. So there's great, there's, there's a warning here. That we would be very attentive, not, not just to kind of, you know, monitoring our saltiness, our effectiveness, but, but more so monitoring how close we are to the, to the source and, and how well we're being infused by the presence of Jesus. He, he also warns us that there are some who will take their light, this light of Christ that is to burn brightly in and through our lives, and, and there are some, I mean... Who would do this? But he warns that there are some possibly who would put it under a bowl or under a bushel. Hide it under a bushel? Thank you. Way to be on that this week. I really appreciate that. Um, hide it under a bushel? No. Hide it under a basket? No. Hide it under... 
light a lamp and then put a bowl over it? No, but just the thought that it could happen is a warning that it might be the case that there would be some followers of Jesus who would have this light shining in them, but for whatever reason, whether they were concerned about the persecution that may come their way because of their showing that light or because of what people might think about them or because of what position that might put them in somehow or because of the, what, the demands that that might make of them moving forward. For whatever reason, Jesus warns that there might be some followers who would say, I'm going to put a bowl over my light. There are warnings here that we need to pay attention to. But, um, and even as I think about that, I'm reminded again of this uh, quote that I shared a couple weeks ago. This person who said, salt a centimeter away from food is useless. Remember that? Salt a centimeter away from food is just like, you know, a prop. It's just, it's just there on, on the table or on the counter. It's only as it interacts with the food that it makes a, a significant difference. And, and for Christians, this person said it like this, Christians not living for people outside of themselves are, are, are worthless. Christians living with their light covered up I'm just going to say, it's, there's another book title I love. It's just Adventures in Missing the Point. And, and this is what we are doing, Christians, followers of Jesus, if we are somehow living with our light covered up or, or, or failing to, to, to interact with the world around us. We're, we're living these adventures in missing the point. But here's the promise. Amidst the warning, there are great promises that I just want to review. You are the salt. You are the light. We've said it the last couple of weeks. There's not a, a sense of you ought to be or you can be, maybe, but there's this sense that Jesus has great confidence in his followers. Jesus has this great trust and belief in his people, stronger than we might even have in ourselves. You are the salt. You are the light of the world. Live this out. You are of great value. And he's saying this again to believers, particularly in that context, and even now who have endured persecution, who are maybe feeling like they're having minimal impact in the world in which they live. Things don't seem to be changing at least as significantly or as rapidly as they would have hoped. And he's saying, no, 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 you in right now, not will be, not someday, not if you get up to this particularly uh, high level, but even right now, you are the salt. You are the light. Jesus has a very high view of his people. <laughs> I think it's because he knows that it's as they draw and we draw near to him, we become capable of things far beyond who we are. And that's obviously very important for us to remember. And then the second part, the second wonderful blessing that we just have highlighted is just this fact that, remember, the you are here is in the plural. It's you folks or y'all are the light of the world. Y'all are the salt of the earth. And we're remembering that it's as a community, when we come together, that we are able to do something uh, in the world for Jesus that, that we couldn't perhaps do on our own. It's when these lights 
come together, that it shines particularly powerful. Well, um, I, the, the reality of that is that uh, anytime I talk about the community, it, the reality is that, yes, it's the community of faith that, that is the salt of the earth and the light of the world, but the community is made up of individual people. And, and without the, the individual expression of salt and light, then, then we all just kind of look at each other and we're like, are we salt and light? Are you salt and light? Are, is this happening? And it's only as individuals within the community find ways to express that, that that collective communal salt and light begin to, to take effect. So this morning, I've invited three people in our church to come and join me, thus the four chairs. And uh, I, we're just going to hear for a few moments together about what this sounds like in a few of our lives. And I know that I could have invited any of you uh, to do this, but I've asked uh, Landon Boucher and Sean Huddleston and Nicole Wilson to come on up here and have a seat, and we're going to chat a little bit, uh, and I'm going to ask them some great, uh, hopefully some helpful questions, and uh, you'll get to hear from them. So um, I asked Nicole to sit on that side so you all could see her so she wouldn't get draped, you know, kind of lost by these guys, but um, can you see us okay? All right. All right. Don't they look great? Um, this, is my, this is my talk show uh, tryout. We'll, we'll see how this goes. Um, I'll just briefly introduce these guys. You, you, they'll share a little bit more about themselves. But um, another reason we're doing this, because I just need you, you to know these people if you don't. Uh, Lan and Boucher right here, um, just a great friend. We met each other probably over 10 years ago, Lan and playing basketball. Uh, and uh, he used to just run circles around me. And uh, we had a lot of fun, though, and we'll talk some more about that. Um, but one of the most important things about Lan and that you need to know is his wife, Lonnie, and their uh, baby that will be showing up in the world in the next, hopefully, days for Lonnie. But probably weeks or so, um, so we're really excited about uh, the Boucher family and all they mean to our church. Sean Huddleston, uh, right here. Many of you know Sean. You hear him ride up on his bike, his motorcycle, or leave on it, and a part of the Black Sheep, uh, but just an amazing part of our, our church family. Uh, his son, Alex, is back there and shared, this is like Huddleston Day up here. This is awesome. Um, Sheridan is doing the media, but uh, Sean's just another wonderful leader and a great part of our church family. And Nicole Wilson, who um, family, Lucas, and son, Lucas, and daughter, Lauren, husband, Darren, and uh, just uh, lots of different things going on in our church, working with the, our youth ministry and our missions, and uh, really grateful for Nicole. So I just want to ask these guys some questions and let you share. So this is on Lannon, and I'll just start with you. Lannon is a basketball coach, among other things, but that is probably your main, you know, one of your main vocational identifiers anyway. So I want you to talk, Lannon, about how you got into coaching and uh, just the journey that's brought you, kind of let us know kind of what you're doing now and the journey that has brought you to this place. And then um, what you love about coaching and what is just hard about being a coach? Well, um, 
ever since I could ever remember, I played basketball, and that's what my family, we did. And that was what was fun to us. That's what, uh, what was important to us. And so I kind of just lived in the day of how to become a better basketball player. And fast forward all the way to my last collegiate game at Westmont College, I remember coming back on the bus. I was kind of older where I was like 24, and I never really thought what was after my basketball career. And so I remember on the bus thinking, what now? And the day after that, I went to bed, I woke up, and I received an email from the Providence Hall athletic director uh, offering me the job for the head boys basketball coaching position. So I, I accepted, and so I went without basketball for about 15 hours. <laughs> and so I went from player to coach, and I never planned on being a coach. But that Providence Hall team, we, it was such a special experience. We only had seven players. But through God's miraculous ways, we had the best season in school history to date. And after that season, I stepped down and I accepted the San Marcos job, uh, the boys basketball um, coaching position over there. When I got the job, there was a group of eighth graders that were incoming freshmen. And they were, you could see some potential in them. And one of the kids' dads was my assistant on varsity. And so we kind of just dedicated our lives for four years to those you know, of course, the teams that I was coaching along the way, but really that freshman class. So those guys, by the time they became seniors, uh, we had an incredible year, best season in school history by far. And it was just such a special journey. The day after the season ended, I stepped down and I went to Westmont where I played. And so now I've been on staff at Westmont for two years. And so that's kind of the journey that has taken me uh, back to my alma mater coaching there. I would say what is the hardest thing about the job of coaching basketball is that if you're a businessman and you're uh, working a job at a desk, it's just you and maybe one other person that's watching how you're doing your job. When you're coaching basketball, you got hundreds, maybe even thousands of people watching you do your job. And so the outside influences that can affect the team, the players, the coaches, it makes it really difficult. Uh, what I love about it is that you have such great influence over your team, and you can, it, it's such a strong ministry inside of something that I love so much. Yeah, good. It's like a great, uh, it's not even American, it's a great international pastime to yell at the coach, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just one of the things that, that we're like trained up to do in the world. So yeah, it can, it can, it can be, I'm sure, very interesting. Thanks, Landon. Sean, you are, I would say, and I don't know if this is true for everybody, but I, I would say that um, two of the things that you're known best for are construction. You can build and, and make just about anything. I've seen pictures of the work that you've done, and motorcycles. So, um, love to hear from you how you sort of got into both of those aspects of your life. How'd you get into construction, and how'd you get into motorcycles? Well, I'm not nervous at all, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was born pretty much with a hammer in my hand. My dad's a general contractor, so I don't know anything else when it comes to uh, making money in the professional world. Um, that's all I've ever done. Um, as far as motorcycles, my uh, uncle was an outlaw biker, 
and when I was really, really young, uh, he talked my dad into letting me go on a ride with him. And ever since then, all I could think of was two wheels. Mm. So it's, it's just been, it's a, been a passion that I could never get rid of. Nice, nice. Um, Nicole, let me ask you, I mentioned some of the hats that you've worn and continue to wear. But one of the things that, that struck me, even though I was thinking about these questions and what I wanted to ask you, is that one of the things that seems to come through over and over in every arena of your life is just the importance of relationships for you and just how that kind of seems to drive a lot of what you do and your involvement. So can you just talk a little bit about kind of the importance of relationship in your life, if that yeah, makes definitely. sense? definitely. Um, growing up in a non-Christian household um, and seeing the familyness of faith, uh, it's always been very attractive to me. And um, so coming here and just um, being able to have so many different friendships, sisterhoods, and relationships with all of you, um, it's so special to me. Uh, it's, it's everything. It's, to me, it speaks to me that it's God's work and um, very palpable uh, in my life to have the benefit of such love from the people in this church especially. Hand it back down here to Landon. Landon, talk a little bit about how your relationship with Jesus impacts who you are as a coach and specifically kind of how you coach. How does being a Christian, a follower of Christ, kind of intersect and impact the way you coach? I think that... Uh... <clears throat> we could turn this question into a long answer, mm -hmm. but I'll keep it to specifically what comes to mind is I think that if I didn't know Jesus and I was coaching, the temptation to care about wins and only wins would be at the forefront. And when you're following Christ, uh, to turn it into a ministry, to care about the players as more than just players, but players that are people, in trying to raise disciples, especially at the Christian schools, the Providence Hall, and at Westmont, you're open to talk about faith, talk about Bible studies, pray together. And so that's why I love coaching at Westmont so much, is that you can really have um, emphasis on them as people instead of players and wins. Nice. Nice. Good. Um, <clears throat> Sean, when I hear and think about construction. You hear lots of, you know, stories about that world. And uh, when I hang out with contractors and construction folks, it, uh, it's just, it's, it's a world, a culture of its own. And uh, I'm learning a little bit more about that through our bathroom remodel. But uh, just, uh, just being around guys like you, um, with its uh, challenges to faith and great opportunities to faith. So the question I have for you is, what would you say are some of the biggest challenges and opportunities for a Christian in the world of construction? Well, um, 
in the construction world when I grew up, uh, all I really knew. So when I got saved, um, I'd say that my world got turned right side up mm-hmm. and things changed. And uh, I, I learned to, to uh, strongly lean on Jesus and my, my faith when it came to working with these other guys and some ladies on the job site. The, uh, the job site is very rough, very raw, um, buff, bunch of roughnecks. I know a few people I'm looking at right now know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, I, uh, I made sure that I stayed in the Word, I stayed going to church, and uh, got a mentor, and did as many church uh, meetings and events as I could to keep myself grounded in that world because it's easy to fall back into the chaos and the uh, the rawness of it. But um, one thing I was taught that I always remembered was to um, always witness and sometimes use your words. So by doing that, I learned that you know just being a true Christian uh, is more than saying anything and a lot of these people that I've worked with through the years that I thought never really were paying much attention would come up to me later on and say you know there's something about you I'd like to know about and that was huge I love it I love it Cole one of the things I just was talking about we've been saying is that the importance of or the significance of salt or just the one of the most important parts of it is that it adds something that it's different that it's distinct. It adds flavor. Um, So I'm just wondering, as you think about sort of the relationships of your life and the network, the interactions that you have, um, what do you hope that your life adds to the lives of those that you come into contact with? This is really good timing. Um, So I don't think you guys would recognize me in my work life. I... uh, am very different because I work with a lot of people that don't understand my faith. Um, so I don't live it as out loud as I do here. But I am out loud. And um, so this last week, for example, I didn't even write this to you, but this last week, um, kind of the resident tough guy at work and I have been working closely together on a marketing strategy that's coming up, and he's a hard guy to work with. Um, but there's just kind of a, I get this jovial feeling over me whenever I have to come into contact with him. And as I left work at 5.30 on Friday, he yelled out in the parking lot, it's a pleasure working with you. This is not something that this fellow ever says. <laughs> And I said, what? Because I actually didn't hear him. And he's all, you heard me. I'm like, no, I didn't. And he repeated himself. Um, and so it is a quiet kind of undertone. Um, some people know out loud that I am a Christian and a believer. I have uh, ministered to um, some, you know, one of my coworkers got a multiple sclerosis, an MS diagnosis while at work. Um, One found out she was going to be a single mom while at work. 
and uh, these are just beautiful opportunities um, to be courageous and um, speak into the lives of people who are broken and hurting. And they know that if they ever need the Word of God or any inspiration that is faith-based, that I am there. And so, it's, you know, it's, it's a God thing. It's definitely something that washes over me and I'm thankful for. Nice. Nice. Um, full disclosure about Landon, it was about four years ago <clears throat> when he called me from his honeymoon, I believe, <laughs> asking if I could come and be his freshman basketball coach at San Marcos while he was, co- he was coaching the varsity team. And the freshman coach had, I think, just told him that he couldn't do it this year, and they were like two weeks away from tryouts and uh, desperate measures, or desperate times called for desperate measures. And, uh, <clears throat> but, but that sort of began, and I actually have all the text messages that Landon has sent me over the years uh, about coaching in particular, especially when I was a freshman coach and coaching for the first time. And when you lose, it hurts so bad. And, you know, it's not about wins and losses, right, Landon? just what he just said. But he would have to remind me of that, you know, when I'm coaching these 14-year-old boys and we lose and I feel like it's the end of the world. And Landon, you know, my mentor is like, it's okay, James. Just keep learning. You're doing fine. Um, but we've had a, just a fun relationship thinking and talking about coaching. But it's been especially fun to watch you these last couple years uh, at Westmont. Um, but, and, 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 I mean, just, I want you to just share a little bit I mean, the, the, the coaching world, the collegiate athletics, I mean, maybe some people, again, you might miss these kind of subcultures altogether, but it's pretty, it's pretty big. I mean, it's hard not to hear about collegiate athletics at some level. Um, and, and to be a coach in that context is, uh, again, uh, you know, a public position, as you said. So talk a little bit more, if you can, Lana, just about just personally, when you hear salt and light and your professional context, what, what is that? What do you hope for? What does that mean to you? One of the biggest differences from coaching at the high school level to the collegiate level is that you get to coach these guys for four years instead of just maybe one or two years because they're on freshman and JV. You coach them a little bit when they're on the lower levels, but you really deal with them every day for one or two years instead of four. And the basketball season is really long. It's basically the whole school year from September to April. And so you get to spend every single day with these guys uh, for months at a time. And we're getting these guys when they're first time away from home. And they're trying to figure everything out. It's a really important age. They're trying to figure out if God is real, if they come to Westmont because they're hearing about it. Or if they believed it before, is it their own faith or is it mom and dad's faith? And so on top of that, you just never know what these guys are going through because we see them two hours a day, maybe if you're on campus a little bit more. But to be every single day there for them, care for them as people, 
instead of just players is a really special opportunity that you help them figure out their way and ultimately build them up as disciples as well as good basketball players. <laughs> I like it. Sean, uh, was it your uncle that was an outlaw? Yes. Bike, motorcycle? <clears throat> so this has been, a, like you said, two wheels has been part of your life from early on. Yes. And with the black sheep and just in your own journey, talk a little bit about that context. Because I think we, one of the things we've been saying about salt and light is that we're each sort of uniquely gifted and God, some, for some reason has given us interests and abilities and placed us into contexts where we might be some of the few that might have some reach there. So talk about just how you've maybe kind of experienced what it means to be salt and light within the, the motorcycle community, especially as you've experienced it. Well, growing up in here in Santa Barbara, um, I was far from the Lord until I was 33 years old. I was as about as close to being an outlaw as my uncle was, but not belonging to a club. Um, and being saved uh, for for a while, what I did was uh, drug and alcohol counseling, and and, uh, and that that um, ministry and. That, uh, that actually got me to uh, working with Mark one day. And he showed up to my men's house to, uh, to talk to the guys. And I was riding a dirt bike. Um, and uh, I mean, it was per shortly after that that the, uh, the men's house kind of fell away. And I really wasn't sure what was going on ministry-wise for me. Um, I still really, really wanted to be out there in, in the world, being the light and being the salt, but uh, the the sober living thing just kind of ended, and uh, I became a black sheep, and uh, which was really cool is that a lot of these people that I grew up with in this kind of outlaw style lifestyle were uh, out there doing their thing, and uh, here I was. Uh, Proclaiming the Lord, um, wearing very proudly a Christian patch on my back, and um, being able to go to those areas and be the light that might have been the only light that these people would ever see. Mm. And uh, again, it, it's not like I was being a floodlight in their face, but just being a light at their feet. So that um, it would come to the point where on Facebook, a friend, outlaw biker friend, would come up and message me and say, hey, can you pray for my mom? And that showing me that he's been paying attention and he's been watching. And those just those little divine appointments that, um, that make it worthwhile being out there. And... Uh, you know, I, I love those little sayings and things, like I said earlier, about, um, about witnessing. But uh, Mark had said that uh, it's real important uh, that we take the salt out of the salt shaker. And this being the salt shaker that we're in right now, we need to go out there and spread that salt. And it's a perfect opportunity uh, out there in the biker world 
to be able to sprinkle that salt and to share the Lord whenever possible. Yeah. Good. Love it. Thank you, Sean. Um, Nicole, you talked a little bit about your work, and if you want to say some more about that, wonderful. Think about some of the other context that you find yourself in just as a mom, uh, a wife. I know that you, I mean, Darren's job's crazy, and so I know you come alongside him a lot um, in, in the church. Just, I don't know what might, what else uh, comes to mind for you when you think about, um, another, another thing we've been saying is that uh, our, our life as salt and light following Jesus won't always be sensational or striking, but it will be simple. Um, what are some of the simple ways that, that you're finding to express what it means to be salt and light in the world where you live? So um, I think it's first about operating from a place of love and um, what better way to love somebody than to accept them completely um, and so outside of work, um, in friendships, I have a lot of friendships with people who aren't part of the church, and um, I can say that it, it isn't difficult, but it does take a lot of um, patience and listening and almost validating um, and that is uh, definitely something that I pray for God's um, provision to help me understand somebody else's point of view. Um, and that is very powerful in itself, especially for, you know, like I have a close friend who's come here a couple of times, has obviously felt the Lord. She just won't name it that. And so, you know, um, she knows my position on many things, and um, because she's very close to my heart, uh, but the fact that she knows that I would never shove anything in her face as far as my faith, um, but that she can trust to come to me and be accepted completely as she is and heard. Um, I find that that's a big thing in the world today, that it's so loud out there that each one of us just really want to be heard. And um, listening to people is a giant form of loving them. And um, I definitely think that that is what has helped me shine the light of Christ and be in a relationship with those around me. Hear that salt and light through loving, accepting, listening. Um, so significant. All right, one more for each of you. Um, Lannon, uh, can you think of a, a, a player in particular, you don't have to name names, or a situation where God, you could just kind of look back and say, God was helping me to be salt and light in that moment. Share with us kind of a, an example. Yeah, situation. Uh, back when I was at San Marcos, <clears throat> on a normal Tuesday afternoon, we were having practice, and at the very end of our practice, a player got really injured, and I won't go into too much graphic detail, but he was losing a lot of blood. 
on the spot to where it was life-threatening. And as you can imagine, it was really shocking, terrifying for everybody. But after he got the ambulance and he left, the rest of the team was still there. And I just remember thinking, well, I couldn't think because I was like almost in shock. It's like, what do we do now? How do we close this thing out? And I just remember walking in and at the spur of the moment, I just said, we circled up and I said, guys, I just feel like we need to pray for the player that just left. So I'm going to do that over here uh, when we break out. If you want to join me, then great. And if not, that's absolutely fine as well. And so I got a chance to pray for the player, pray for the team at a public school where, uh, you know, we all are aware of the rules and everything. But it was a special moment for me just to show those players that in time of trouble and confusion and shock, that's where I wanted to go. And that's where I kind of just was leaning towards. And so all the players joined, and uh, the player ended up being all right. But uh, that's a situation where I thought that looking back, God definitely led me to do that and uh, thankful for it. Yeah, yeah, good. So good. Sean, uh, you shared a little bit about this, but reflect a little bit more on some of the key practices or kind of things that you give yourself to that keep you salty in a good way and that keep your light shining brightly. What, what do you, you know, what, what are the things for you that you know you've got to attend to in order for your life to be expressing uh, salt and light? Well, to this day, um, I stay in the Word. I think it's really important that, um, that we read the Word alone in, the, in our, um, our own devotion time. Um, and not just come here just to get fed once a week, but uh, to stay to stay in the Word. Um, that that scripture comes up in my head during normal lifetime situations. Um, one of the things that helps ground me is uh, Galatians five nineteen, 19 through twenty three, and uh, where it shows the um, the works of the flesh and the fruits of the spirit. It lets me know exactly where I am. It's kind of my moral compass. And I, I lean on that. Um, I fellowship as much as I can. I love this family here. And uh, I'm Monday night, uh, I go every Monday night if I can. And uh, we were able to, you know, have a meal together, sit down, have a great time talking and joking and, uh, and getting in the word together sharing each of us um, talking about what the scripture means to us and bouncing off each other like uh, wish Crosby is here um, as he always says iron sharpens iron and so if we spend time together in the word and we spend time together fellowshipping and worshiping it uh, it grounds us and it keeps us ready uh, for the fight that we have out there because that's what, exactly what it is. It's a spiritual battle going on constantly. Um, and if we don't go back to the Lord and go back to the Scripture and go back to worship and, and fill ourselves back up, we don't have any salt to share. And we don't have that light to share. So I think it's important to, uh, to work on your 
your own faith and uh, word and worship and fellowship so that you can be that salt and light out in the world. Good. Thank you. And Nicole, um, reflect just for a minute too on ways that you have seen our church family uh, that I know you're grateful for as well. Um, ways that you've seen our church family just be an expression of salt and light in the world and maybe just kind of your hopes and dreams for how we might continue to shine as a church in our community and beyond. Um, there's a few examples. Um, <clears throat> um, when uh, Darren's brother passed away, and I know some of you have heard this story, we had a gathering here, and I, my, I don't know where my head was, but there was this beautiful meal put out by all of you, and I didn't even know, I didn't even see any of the people that set it up. It was just like, <laughs> it was just there. And um, it, it's kind of this um, undercurrent. I mean, right after, the day after Matt's accident was an Advent Wednesday, and we showed up, and um, it was like, Darren's like, maybe we should go. I'm like, no, this is the place we have to be. And um, it, it was like crawling into your mother's lap um, and being in a place that you felt held and supported and supported in a way that you knew was solid and foundational and good. And it's those times that really, uh, probably looking back now, saved our family from a lot of hurt. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And you know, I see this in our youth group. You take a group of teenagers, you put them together, and you think, gosh, there's got to be a lot of gossiping and maligning and, you know, what do they call it, cliques. And there really isn't. It's kind of unreal. I mean, uh, it, all I can say is it's a God thing. It's pretty unreal to see these, these group of teens just be together and for each other and just lift each other up and be amazing. Um, I'm so grateful to be in this environment and it does fuel me to go out in the world and continue the battle. I don't look at it that way, but I understand what Sean's saying. Yep, awesome. Can we give these guys a hand? That is some really good sharing. Thank you guys so much. Thanks, brother. Um, these are just some... I, I love having these folks up here because it's just a representation of our, our church family. I mean, just... Uh, these are... These are folks, thank you guys again. These are folks that are here for good. And I mean, on uh, the, the part of that meaning of that slogan, I hope that means that they're all here for a long time. Don't go anywhere, you three and your families. Hope you're here for a long time, here for good. But 
wherever these three are and, and beyond, wherever we are, we're there for the goodness of God and for the glory of God. And whether that's, whether that's impacting the lives of other believers around us, followers of Jesus, friends in faith that just need our, our influence, our friendship, our, our light, our help, our assistance, or whether that's folks who are far from faith that uh, are giving, we're being given the opportunity somehow to kind of get up close to their lives. Um, what a great, beautiful opportunity it is, and what great examples you just heard from each of these three. Jesus is saying in this passage that what happens in a gym somewhere or on a construction site or in an office, it matters. The conversations, the interactions, the demonstrations of a life of faith, it, it makes a difference. Um, uh, a word of encouragement spoken, and it all influences the world around us. I love, I gave Greg the passage to read from First Peter um, that he read earlier. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. It's kind of like, again, Mr. Rogers last week. Uh, very strange and yet beautiful somehow <laughs> in terms of how the world might understand us. Um, when Jesus talks about good deeds, I just wanted to highlight this. When he talks about performing these good deeds so that people might see, the, the word good there is not only uh, not only meaning describing the works that you are to do. Not only are you to do deeds that are good, but the word also means you're to do those deeds well. You are to, whatever the, de whatever the good is that you're doing, do it with a good attitude. So in other words, what Jesus is saying, you, this doesn't just mean perform your obligational duties or somehow act like a good person. What Jesus is saying is let your heart be in it, in all that you're doing uh, to the glory of God in the world. And I think it's, whether it's, again, salt that purifies or preserves or flavors or light that guides and illuminates and transforms, we're called, again, not to this sort of secret or kind of halfway life of faith, but this very public life that in some way might bear influence on the world around us. Thank you guys again, Landon and Sean and Nicole. So much appreciated. Um, I want to invite our worship team to come back up here and uh, lead us and... Um, just want you to reflect again on a quote that I read from Mother Teresa last week as we wrap up this series. This uh, next Sunday, we'll enter into the season of Lent, and I, I think this is really flowing actually very beautifully um, from the life of the beloved 
as we began the year into this life as salt and light, into this life that is growing deeper into uh, the life with God that he's called us. But I think this, this quote from Mother Teresa serves as a really great bridge from where we're talking now into the season of Lent. So hear it again as we respond in, in worship. She said this, Give yourself fully to God. He will use you to accomplish great things on the condition that you believe much more in his love than in your own weakness. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you. Thank you so much for your goodness, for your strength, for your love, for all that you are and all that you do. And as we heard again today, the importance of drawing near and staying close to you and to who you are, allowing you to fill us with salt and with light that we might be that in the world. And God, I thank you for Nicole and for Sean and for Landon and for the examples of their lives. And I would pray for them specifically that even as they share today, perhaps they'd be a, a a fresh target for the enemy's attacks. And I pray that you would just strengthen them and give them just, just fortify their souls as they seek to live for you continually and to bring glory and honor to your name by the way that they live. And I would just pray for each of us here today that as we think about our own context and the unique places in which you have placed us, that we would be very mindful, not only of those places, but the gifts that you've given, and that we would be very mindful to be, uh, to, to be placing our, our gifts and our abilities at your disposal, that, you might, uh, that might, you might use them to draw people to know you, to draw people deeper into relationship with you, to make a great impact in the world in which we live. And I thank you for all those that have been touched by the ministry of this church as a, as a community of faith and pray that that would only uh, extend in the days to come. We pray for your strength and for your presence. We believe in your love much more than our own weakness and we know that you will use us to do great things for you. We love you and we pray all this in your name. Everybody said, amen.